This is three women and a bottle of wine. Three friends. Three former TV reporters. And one bottle of wine. We're delving into whatever interests us. News, not news, it's what affects our lives because it's probably affecting yours too. I'm Kim Inslee. I'm Lynn Melling. And I'm Julie Barkey. And now on with the pod. Top chef, iron chef, just an all-around great chef and restaurateur, Justin Sutherland is white hot. He is with us tonight on Three Women and a Bottle of Wine. So at one of the restaurants you manage is where we are right now, Justin, the Mm -hmm. Handsome Hog in Lower Town in St. Paul. We love this place. And you're all going to love the man. Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, ladies. All right, Justin, we want to go back to the beginning shortly, but we want to start by having you encapsulate your your current life, both professionally and personally. Uh, I, well, most of it's professionally <laughs> right now. I don't <laughs> know that I do. Two minutes, yes, just encapsulate. Right. Um, busy. Um, you know, the last couple of years have just been a whirlwind. From, you know, we opened Handsome Hog three years ago. It was my first, you know, restaurant of my own. And since then, we've grown from one to seven restaurants and Iron Chef and Top Chef. And it uh, busy would be the word to encapsulate my uh, my life right now. Fulfilling? Absolutely. I'm having a blast. We should we should say your restaurants, too. So you're with the Madison Group, is that right? Yes. Yeah, so uh, myself and Pat Conroy have taken over operations of the Madison Restaurant Woo-hoo. Group, um, which I was ri- originally a partner in with Handsome Hog and now overseeing the, the whole company. Do you want to name those so that all of our listeners know exactly yes, where yes, your hand is? Yes. So um, the majority of them in St. Paul. Um, we have Handsome Hog, Grey Duck Tavern, uh, Fitzgerald's up on Cathedral Hill, uh, Oxcart Alehouse, um, where we got Eagle Street, um, Green Lantern, um, then relocating Pearl and Thief now to Minneapolis, and we're in the process of opening a restaurant in New Richmond, Wisconsin, called Fire and Whiskey. I nice. do want to say to all of our listeners that he had to think there for a moment. I so I always, that's a I always pop forget quiz. That's a lot it of is. restaurants. It is. Do you have? I always is, forget one. Does the food change from restaurant to restaurant, or is it all a similar? No, no none of them are anywhere near the same. Everyone's that's completely, be a completely different concepts. Because I have to say, so, and I heard that it's no longer on the menu, but the BLT with the fried egg on top is the bomb. Thank you. Thank you. It, <laughs> it, it'll make a comeback. You can never, you know, once people fall in love with something, you kind of take it away for a little bit and <laughs> keep them wanting more. Well, and I made the mistake <laughs> of having it at like a business lunch. Oh, yeah. Which is messy. Yep. But I just thought I'm going to take a risk. Didn't have the salad. Had the, <laughs> and the fried egg on top is just. I mean, an egg on anything, I think, takes yes. them to the next level. I'm glad I'm, to hear I'm, you I'm live big. a little, Lynn. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. You know, oh, you know what? While we're talking about your restaurants, uh, Oxcart Alehouse, yep. are you doing a new concept with we that? We are. We've completely reconcepted it. Um, downstairs, we're going for this, like, 80s, 90s arcade vibe. So. Oh, that's our generation, ladies. I love the 80s. Yeah, if you will, guys... will Madonna be playing... The Breakfast Club movie? Yes, exactly. There'll be bre- okay. Breakfast Club on the TVs, lots of Madonna. And I heard uh, something about either. boozy slushies, boozy, too. Boozy <laughs> snow, co- snow cones. We have yeah. a snow cone maker with uh, boozy snow cones and a lot really? of just one-handed Are fair you? food kind of Well, now stuff. you're talking about a typical Saturday night right. at my house. <laughs> I mean, I hope you're not teasing slushy. us with this, I hope. No, no, no. It sounds like, like, t- like two weeks, we'll be ready to go. <laughs> Can we put a plug in for karaoke night? There will be a karaoke Every night, like a karaoke not, machine. Not every, there, well, yeah, we're, so we have a little private area that you can rent out. So it's going to kind of be rent your own private karaoke room. So it's, it seats up to about twenty people. You can do your own private karaoke. Um, so not everybody has you, to hear you. You just made the dream come true of every woman over the age of forty right? in this town. That's that's usually my goal. <laughs> and many <laughs> under the age as well. I, have, I know a few who would love to nerd out right. and sing karaoke in a private room. Yep. Yeah. 
So I have to ask, yeah. you've heard a lot about your career now. How how did you get started? When did you get started cooking? What, did you, what's yeah. your first memory of picking up a kitchen tool? I mean, I've always, I mean, I was a kid who was always in the kitchen with my mom and grandmothers uh, growing up. So food was always a huge part of our family. Um, I always loved to eat it, loved to cook it, loved to be around it. Um, yes, I mean, it's just... I didn't never thought I was going to be a chef, but I always loved food. So as the mother of two boys, yep. I would love it if you would come over and instill that just through osmosis, I, I would, that I would love, love of to. cooking. I it doesn't happen to. at my house. <laughs> One of the things that I always hear about chefs is you get this, there's this stereotypical image of the head chef who's just super mean and he's yelling at people and stuff. You seem like a pretty chill guy. I'm a pretty chill guy. <laughs> so your personality in the kitchen... Is it any different than who you are right now? No, not at all. I think uh, I think that generation of chefs is kind of changing quite a bit. Um, you know, when I was coming up, it was that is what it was. It was you know the angry chef throwing things and yelling all the time. So that kind of taught me what kind of chef I didn't want to be. And you know, I think those messages are are received much better. I mean, people not, when I'm upset now, somebody knows. <laughs> you know, if you walk around always upset, it's kind of that boy who cried wolf thing. So yeah, but how do you, yeah? I was wondering how do you do well if somebody is yelling at you and exactly. intimidating you? Exactly, you don't. Well, I think that's really reflective of when we talk about leadership. I mean, I'm kind of a nerd, so I'm always <laughs> reading like Harvard Business Review about leadership and mm -hmm. how to be a better leader. But I think it's what I'm reading is that yeah, people don't take kindly to no. harsh criticism. And it's just, it's, it's not even it's just, yeah, it's not a productive work environment, mm -hmm. period. So, so Justin, I'd like you know. to tap into something just to paint the picture for our listeners. He's wearing right now this amazing ball cap that says in diversity, we trust and I just recently read something the Minneapolis Star Tribune mm -hmm. wrote about you and it talked about you and how, you know, it's believed that you're the first black chef in the Twin Cities to be in charge of a multi restaurant group. And you stated progress always feels good. <clears throat> Excuse me. And just advancing diversity in all sectors of life and work in our community is very important. It paves the road for those who come next. So tell me a little bit about how important you think are. Do you think that you are baby, basically a glass ceiling breaker. I mean, I don't know per se if I'm a glass ceiling breaker, but I, th you know, I definitely, you know, I'm proud of of the of the steps I've made. I think there's a lot of people that I'm able to, you know, bring with me or able to show that, you know, anything's possible by anybody. So, it's it's been good. All right. How do we get how do we get more diversity then? And I want to include women in that because we right. hear a lot. Actually, you know, the Twin Cities has its fair share of amazing women chefs, but that's not for every city. Nope. And uh, people of color who are chefs, who mm -hmm. are leading the kitchen, how do we get more of that? You know, I think it's with more women and with more people like myself showing people that it's possible. Um, you know, I do a lot of stuff with, with youth, with the Boys and Girls Club and whatnot, and I go to a lot of um, you know inner city schools. You know, they just see me walking with a chef coat, and they're like, every chef they've ever seen is, you know, this older white man. And they're like, oh, I, I can do this mm -hmm. too. So I think, you know, us just showing the younger generations that they can do it is, is one of the biggest steps. It's a steps. possibility. It, absolutely. Who was your, did you have a role model then when you were growing up? Or do, who was who your, the person that you looked up to? You know, my, 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 my grandfather was a really big role model for me. Um, he, he really instilled work ethic, and he was just, you know, one of the greatest men ever, so... He was definitely a big, big role model in my life. How do you find it is when you're trying to do this outreach with kids, mm -hmm. youth, is there a connection or is there a, a vast disconnection? Because sometimes it is really hard to, to speak to a younger generation, to actually let them know that they can accomplish what they want to accomplish. You know, it, it, it is and it isn't. I think younger generations are very visual learners. And I think just, you know, that that visual piece of me being in the room and talking to them on their level, I think just starts that, that conversation, that connection right off the bat. I have a question that Answer. I think all of our listeners are going to want to know. Yeah. 
if there is one thing, we have a lot of people out there who are probably intimidated to even be in a kitchen beyond maybe frying an egg. Yep. So that would, would be you, me. So <laughs> how do they get started? What can they do to to break through any kind of fear? Yeah, I mean, first of all, it's it's a difficult industry. Yes, you have to love it to do it. It's nothing that you can you know kind of half-ass. You're either all in or all or, or out. Um, so if it's something you're really interested in, I think finding finding a chef for a restaurant and just you know doing some doing some stages or doing some some apprenticeships is, is the best way to do it to find out if it's something that you want to invest in long time. Long what about term. just stay at home? Yeah, cooks. Just in the kitchen, or just, yeah. Or just stay at home cooks, then just cook. It's it's just food. I mean, well, I, I know people who are afraid to go off book, shall we say, for the oh, recipe. And as I get more book. confident in the kitchen, I'm not a great mm-hmm. cook by any means. I'm I'm okay. Mm-hmm. But I have fun and you learn what goes with what. So what's Absolutely. your advice to people who are like, oh no, I don't have the mm-hmm. ha- a quarter t- teaspoon right. of something so I can't do this recipe? Unless you're baking, um, always go off book. I mean, I don't really use recipes for anything when developing. I mean, you use them as kind of guidelines, as structures, so you know what flavor profiles go together, what your end result's going to be. But, but how you get there, I mean, it's more fun to figure it out. It's no different than what we do here. I mean, we throw a little bit of this, a little bit of that, <laughs> and sometimes it tastes horrible. I mean, there's many things that are good that make it on the menu, ten times as many things have were tried that didn't make it so so my cinnamon turmeric french toast hit no hit it sounds like a hit i mean go easy easy on the easy on the turmeric but i think i think it'd be great so do you have a favorite when you're in the kitchen do you have a like you gravitate towards baking or eggs or I, meat. I stay away from baking very, very far. That's, you know, baking is a science. That's that's where you have to follow that's the That's chemistry, right? That's chemistry. I mean, those are direct proportions that have to be, you know, used to achieve that go- that end result. And that's have not you, me. Have you found that those are different personality types? hundred percent. I mean, it's, you know, it's type A, type B. <laughs> it's left brain, right brain. I mean, baking and... You know, pastry chefs and chefs are two totally different, you know, just personalities in general. Well, chefs, talking about bringing up more chefs. So uh, another quote of yours is, progress paves roads for those who come next. Mm-hmm. Um, you are boss in seven different restaurants. Obviously, you can't be there every night in every restaurant. So exactly. two questions for you. How do you pass the baton to the next generation or the next up-and-coming chef? But also, how do you maintain the quality of your restaurant the way you want it but let someone else do it you know that's that's definitely the biggest juggling act i mean you have to a surround yourself with people you trust i mean luckily i have a very very good support group i mean my executive team donald gonzalez my culinary director and the people that are you know the backbone of this company um you know i definitely have to be able to trust them i can't be everywhere at once um you know and and just learning when to let go and what to hold on to you know i you know maintaining the quality of of the in the standards of the restaurants is something that i I'm constantly overseeing, but you know, every restaurant has its own chef, and I love letting them go and do what they do and coming in and saying, Hey, chef, try this. I'm like, Well, that's awesome. I think there's a lot of people in the business world, you know, managers who mm-hmm. struggle with letting go. Yep. Do, you, do you have any advice for them, listeners who are maybe run a business or are middle managers and they have a difficult time giving up control? What would your advice be to them? I mean, it's, it's tough. It's really hard to tell somebody to, to give up control or, or let go. So I think that, that trust aspect and, you know, having a right-hand right, right hand man, left-hand woman, whoever it is, that's, you know, you have to have somebody that you can trust. Um, and then you, you have to know that you can't do it all. I mean, and then realizing, you know, it's, it's different for everybody, deciding which pieces of their business they can let go of. Well, and there's also that fear of, of failing. And if, if something fails, it's your fault. If you're the boss, the buck stops here kind yeah. of thing. But people have different opinions about failure. Mm-hmm. You have to be willing to fail if you're going to be a successful business person. One hundred percent. I think you learn way more from failure than you do successes. If all you do is succeed, you know, you, you never know where your limits are. You're never truly testing yourself. And so let's get a little bit beyond that statement. Where have you failed? Can you give us something 
you know, quantify that a little bit and tell us how you've overcome that. Yeah, I mean, I don't, again, I don't know if it's, I, I still, like I said, I still see failures as kind of always learning opportunities, but, you know, I make missteps and, and bad judgment calls every day. Um, you know, and it's, it's seeing how, how you internalize those and then how you, you know, turn those into learning opportunities for yourself, for your staff. Um, and I just try to not make the same mistake twice. So how do you do that without finding yourself demoralized? How do you keep picking yourself up and saying, all right, next step, onward and upward? Yeah, because it's, it's not demoralizing to me. I think it's, you know, you have to allow yourself to think it's demoralizing before you can be demoralized. And you have to understand that, you know, we're all human beings. We're all, we don't have the answers. And, you know, as long as you can take those, those missteps as learning opportunities, there should be no reason to be demoralized. This might, sorry, Lynn, this might be a little bit unfair, but I think Lynn and uh, Julie and myself, we've all experienced being in a newsroom or being the only woman on a set. Mm -hmm. And so you're judged, and if you fail and you're the only one, it, you, you feel kind of lonely out there. Of course. Um, you're one of the few black chefs mm -hmm. heading up a restaurant, and maybe the only one heading up a restaurant group here mm -hmm. in the Twin Cities. Yep. Do you feel that there's more pressure on you because of that? I, th I think maybe briefly initially that might have went through my mind, but then, I mean, the outpouring of support and realizing... I, I mean, I don't. I, I guess I don't really. I can't afford to, you know, to be demoralized or have that because there are there are a lot of people who are, you know are looking up to me or looking for me to see which path I take so they can take that path for themselves and whatnot. So I hold on to those things and you know always remember that other people are looking and I try and you know be a good example. So let's get a little bit beyond your persona, chef, mm -hmm. Iron Chef, Top Chef. Tell us a little bit about you. What do you like to do? Ooh, what do I like to do? Um, Oh, I love when it's summer out. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Same. Um, I mean, just, yeah, uh, music and being outside. If I'm, not, if I'm not working, I'm seeing music somewhere, and it's very n not genre-specific whatsoever. I think Minnesota has an amazing music scene, and I will literally just see what show is playing in town and call a friend. And if we know the band or don't, like, I'm always going to see live music. Um, and then in the summer, I love being on the water, I love being on the lakes, just love being outside, hanging out with friends. Is there a favorite artist? Back to music. Do you have a favorite I, I don't right now. We can. I'll think about it, and we can come back to that. But <laughs> okay. I have a lot. I mean, my my music taste is extremely eclectic. From give it. Can you give us a range? Like. I mean, from everything. I mean, I love you know just old school you know funk stuff to 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 very new to you know. There's probably a little closet country fan in me somewhere. Wow. <laughs> Neil Diamond. Oh, Neil Diamond. I'll get down to Neil Diamond. Gotta I love mean, Neil Diamond. Sweet yeah. Caroline. Everybody's got right, right. So, and Prince. Let's not forget. Oh, I mean, let's not forget. Prince, Prince is hands down one of my top favorites. Really? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Same. Okay. Absolutely. I, I worship him like hands the down. god he is. Ha yeah. Hands down, one of my favorites of all time. I'm so glad we have something to bond over after the, Justin and I will be doing you know, uh, Prince karaoke Prince at the at the new slushy place. Yeah, Oxcart Arcade. <laughs> I, mean, I dedicated a dish to him on Top Chef. Did you really? I did. I'm so sorry I missed yeah, that. Yeah. What was the, what was the dish? So it was we went to uh, Nashville. So it was obviously a music challenge. So everybody had to pick a music memory or something in the music world that uh, you know that meant something to them. So being from Minnesota, I really wanted to showcase Prince. And I remember when he passed away, and I didn't leave First Avenue for I think the full 72 hours it was open. Wow. <laughs> and we just so I just remember that. So we all had to create a dish based from that. So I did a purple rain dish with only all purple ingredients and. So I have to confess something. So when he died, and this sounds corny, but I'm just going to say it anyway. But yep. so I was living in Iowa, mm -hmm. and after he died, I was identifying with because I grew up in Minnesota, yep. born and raised here, hadn't lived here in a long time. But I felt this. I connected with all these Minnesotans mm -hmm. and felt this pull back to Minnesota. Yep. And I, a year later, we were, were we were back here, and yep. I. 
and I, my husband rolls his eyes when I tell this story because it might be kind of corny, but I really, that's, it reconnected me to my Good. Minnesota identity. It was one he, of the most is, uh, unifying Minnesotan moments. I think that and the, mm-hmm. and the Minnesota Miracle with the Vikings were the two <laughs> yeah. things that I thought like I brought. I was at that brought, game. I was that at that was, game too. You, I saw you. Did you see me? No. Oh, you might have. And <laughs> the other unifying moment was the heartbreak that came. That came. That came. Uh, that yeah, came. No. Oh, come on. We it always happened. That I'm always sorry. happened. I was it's also at the game in inevitable. 1998. Was it where oh, Gary Anderson missed yeah, the field goal? Oh my gosh. The man didn't miss all season long. And then that game. There's always next season, right? Okay. That's the quote we hear after every every, every season. There's yes, always next I'm season. <laughs> Speaking of, aren't you doing something in this uh, food realm with one of our new stadiums? I am. I just uh, signed up to be the culinary director for uh, Allianz Field for the Minnesota United. That's um, exciting. That is. I'm really excited about that. Very, so very excited So what kind of food that. do you offer to soccer buffs? You know, so the, the, the deal with Allianz and the reason they reached out to me is, I mean, being in the neighborhood that it's in, um, being in St. Paul, we're very diverse here. I mean, it's, you know, plopped right in the middle of a huge, you know, we have a Hmong population, Somali, Vietnamese. I mean, very, very diverse neighborhood. And soccer is an international sport. Um, so what we want to do there is make sure that all of our food is St. Paul-based restaurants, um, that we're, you know, hitting all the spectrums from all the kind of food there. So I'm going to kind of help connect that story um, with curating the the vendors for all of the booths. Um, we're going to be doing guest chef pop-ups at, at just about every game in the VIP area and really just helping to kind of be a face to, to bridge that gap I between the that. neighborhood and the food and tell the food story of St. Paul. I have a question for you. So you're taking all of this in stride. You've really become a, a celebrity in the Minnesota world, not just the food world, but the Minnesota world. You've been quoted, you're, you have features in Food and Wide magazine, features all over the place with local make, with local media. Has your life changed? Are you you seem really grounded? Is it a show? No, it's not. (laughs) No, I I always try and stay very grounded. I mean, at the end of the day, I just wake up every day and cook food, and all this could be, you know, the the celebrity aspect or whatever you want to call it, that could end at any moment, (laughs) you know. So, you know, I keep it in perspective, take it in stride, um, and try and do the most with it that I can right now. It's about time for our final flight. We will be back with that in just a second. Three Women and a Bottle of Wine is supported by 515 Productions. 515 Productions is a video production business with base camps in Minneapolis and Des Moines, Iowa. Ian, who's so great, and his crew understand the art of creative storytelling, and they know how to make video look really, really good. Learn more at 515productions.com. Our logo was created by Aaliyah DeSalt, a creativity guru offering art workshops to everyone from business executives to book clubs because we all have untapped creative potential just waiting to be unleashed. You can find her contact information on our website. You can stay up to date on our podcast by checking out our website, threewomenandabottleofwine.com. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where you'll find behind-the-scenes photos and, of course, much, much more. Be sure you don't miss an episode. Subscribe to our show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. It is time for our final flight where we ask our guests some rapid fire questions. Not intended to make you uncomfortable by any stretch of imagination. Right. So it I'll start. It. I'll start. Favorite drink. Favorite drink. Uh, old fashioned. Okay. Okay. What is your favorite restaurant that is not your restaurant? Ooh, right now in bloom. Ooh. Love loving that place. Yeah. Least favorite activity. Least running. 
<laughs> jogging, any, any sort of fast pace movement. So we're not going to watch for you in the Twin Cities Marathon. No, Got no, no, it. No, no, no. Okay. Well, Justin Sutherland, <laughs> thank you so, so much for joining us on Three Women and a Bottle of Wine. We really appreciate it, your insights, and looking forward to what comes next. Awesome. Very much appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thank you. She broke ground as one of the first females to strap on a tool belt and televise home renovations. But Amy Matthews is so much more than a DIY television personality. Yeah, she's a single mom. She's the survivor of an abusive marriage, and her story is going to connect with so many people. Join us to hear about how Amy took her experiences, parlayed them into a new endeavor that's close to her heart, all while enjoying a lovely Pinot with us. That's next time on Three Women and a Bottle of Wine.